So this evening um, or early morning, as it is in New Zealand, I'm talking to Sylvie Chaos, who got in touch uh, as a fan of our podcasts. And so we've invited her to, to join us. So this is podcast 23 of Hoarding Stuff or Hoarding Stuff, depending on how you like to say it or think of it. So Sylvie, welcome. No, thank you. It's great to be here. So why, what is it about our podcast that you like? And how did you find them, first of all? How did you come across them? Well, I'm a master's student at the Dunedin School of Art. And, uh, I mean, obviously for me to be interested in hoarding as a subject, there will be a familial connection as well. And there is. Mm-hmm. And I am... It's come into my practice. Hoarding has come into my practice through several different um, connections, and one is a, a theoretical connection. It's Jane Bennett's vibrant matter theory, and how and about the liveliness of objects. That is a big um, to try and narrow down in a few words. There's my connection to hoarding. Uh, having just buried a parent and clearing out the house, um, 35 years of hoarding from two parents, so growing up with hoarding and, uh, and, and processing that, but not wanting that to be primary in my artwork. I don't want the, the art to be a catharsis. I want it to be, well, it's nice if that's a side effect, don't get me wrong, but it's I want it to be an exploration and uh, a research and find out what comes from it. And also being the particular human I am, I need to study all the things and read all the things. And uh, I suppose I'm a bit of a knowledge hoarder. Mm. I mean, I've got personal components to be a hoarder in me as well, having grown up with it. But, of course, the next generation are generally a reaction to their parents. So, for me, I'm constantly decluttering. But, you know, books, things like that. So, what, what's the, the, the notion of the vibration of things? What Could you explain that? Okay. Yeah, it gets really big, though. So, you might have to just put up a hand and slow me down if I get off on a tangent. Okay, right. <laughs> Basically, Bennett's theory is if we can look at the fact that capitalism is what it is and we're overloaded by it and we're production, dispersion, consumption, and being the monkey that we are, Mm. not us are designed to um, cope with that. And how dare we not be? You know, things can go wrong with your leg, things can go wrong with your heart, but if nothing goes wrong with your ability to cope, that you know, we're suddenly banished. Well, that's one thing. She takes all of that and brackets it off to the side because mm-hmm. what she wants to look at is if it's not human agency that's causing things like boarding, how much are those objects calling us? How much are they collecting us? So it's sort of easy to write it off at that point. But if you look at things like a rubbish tip, a rubbish tip has items in it. It's supposed to be just objects, no no liveliness. But things continue to disintegrate and bleed into the ground and change their form. So they're still moving. They're still active participants. Mm. If we 
just bracket off human agency. Let's have a look at how, how much those objects are calling us. And especially if you look into um, hoarding as a separate subject to vibrant matter and hear how people talk about their stuff as if it's come into their lives and mm. it, their house and it's taken over and they can't cope with it as if it is a living thing. So I believe that the Chinese say with books in particular, that they're like arrows, they cover a lot of their books up because they do call your attention to them, right? They, they, they pull you to them. And that's one of the problems I have because I've got so many books, they're all clamouring for attention. Now, which one do you read? So they're not alive, right? Obviously, they're not kind of like, you know, um, but there is a certain something to them. And, and Heather, um, you bought that book, didn't you, about objects talking? The, the, book of, the book of form and emptiness. Yeah, I might, I might have bought that, actually. It's, and, it's, uh, <laughs> honestly, it's just, it's a brilliant book. I, I've, yeah. I've listened to it because I listen to books when I walk in the morning. And it's just the best, I think it's probably one of the best descriptions of the mental health around hoarding mm. um, and sort of descent into mental health, mental ill health as well, understanding grief and it's it, and it's so beautifully written and so and Buddhism sort of goes through the center or Zen Buddhism mm. goes through the center of it as well. So it's it's almost like a poem that's a book, but that makes it sound a bit sort of. Uh, you know out there it's not it's also very easy to read and mm. just great absolutely great so I um I've yet to look up the author but I wrote to her and said you know what you must have some connection to yeah. the world of hoarding because you just know this so well but then her but then her agent wrote back to me and said she's too busy to answer people you'll have to listen to her interviews which I haven't had time to do yet so that'd be good um, yeah but I will yeah. do it because honestly yeah. it, was just, it was a lovely book I mean you, um, you mentioned you mentioned capitalism and and some people who acquire aren't perfect for capitalism right because why they, not? they buy, 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 consume, buy, 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 consume. And that's the message that we've been given about the economy for so long, we're told. Plus, if you're poor, it's save, 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 don't yeah. throw away, yeah. repair and mend, yeah. and yeah. forever, this whole lot of stuff. But I'm sort of taking all that stuff, which I have, see, that, that for me would have to be a parallel project. I work really, really hard to stay in the realm of not the mental health thing, because mm. from perspective, watching my parents, um, the hoard could well be what caused the mental health problem. Right. Okay. The other way around. So I'm working yeah. really, really hard with the ideas. I mean, it's it's throughout history. There's um, uh, uh, Spinoza's ideas of conatus and impetus. You know, things that have their own ability to move around. There's um, Kafka's Odradek, you know, there's an object that existed and changed from house to house and lived within a, a different time zone and wasn't living as a breathing being. Um, there's, there's so many theorists throughout history that have... have so with, those, with those two, you're going to have to backtrack a little bit. Yep. Right. 
Uh, and yeah. uh, uh, did you see the horrified look on Heather's face? I was horrified too. <laughs> Can you explain those two things from Kafka and from Spinoza? Spinoza. Oh, yeah. this. Yeah, there's so there's look there's just so many theories. I don't have all my notes in front of me, but um, you know, De Lanza did assemblages, and uh, can't remember the theorist that talked about atoms that swerve, and once getting into all of this stuff mm -hmm. um, there are so many people throughout history looking at it but because we all come from this um presbyterian scots stiff upper lip background where nothing can exist outside um rationalist enlightenment theories right. yeah. Yeah. that you can't possibly be perceiving that stuff you, you it, it can only be things are alive or things are not alive. There's no in-between. Yeah. Yep. Though the theoreticians have talked about it since time began. Mm. So what, what, is, what does Spinoza say then? In, in, a short, in a short sentence, what, what does he say? Well, every object that exists, mm -hmm. uh, connotative state, so there's connotations of how it how it um, exists. Right. It has impetus in that it takes action on its own. So it's almost like talking about a brain without it being in the form we think of with mammals and animals. Um, right. You know, I mean, think how much of our lives people have believed that animals couldn't feel or think beyond. And yeah, yeah, their own yeah. animals knew they could. So it's about that in-between state. If life isn't defined as um, as we have defined in our rational science that excludes every other way of thinking, including pagan ways of thinking, indigenous ways of thinking mm. from around the world, if we don't think of it that way, how much power do these things have over us? And we know they have power over us. Like if you're living in a room that's full of writing, there's mm -hmm. um, things all over the walls and, and stimulation. It's impossible to not be affected by that. It's mm -hmm. about the boundaries we put around it to allow ourselves to cope within our worlds, how we define them so we can live in them. It's a really I mean, when you look at people, I had kids with autism, right, and they're sensory. So yeah. the things they pick up on, you know, for forever in trouble at school because um, something on the way to school was too loud and then somebody poked them and then somebody yelled and then they were late for something and then there was a car horn that went off and then a, a bike went past really close and by the time they get to school and the elastic and the sock is irritating them and somebody just touches them and says, hi, they're in trouble. Mm. Because it's all sensory and it's all stimulation. These kids pick up on things well beyond us. Yeah. All they see at school is that someone poked them and they think, yeah. what a reaction. Yeah. yeah. And, but sensory things have a liveliness to them. And this is where Bennett gets to it. And where I come in, I come in from a totally different perspective. I went to art school, I started art school at 50. Mm -hmm. I came in with a pagan viewpoint on the world and I've been that way for a long long time but paganism sees us how do you describe scientifically sees everything as swarming atoms like we're all the same liveliness yeah. that 
that table leg is the same as that goes through people. Oh, yeah, essentially energy. Yeah, and yeah. energy doesn't um, die. It can't be killed. It just moves on yeah. to the next thing. So I came in and then I heard, and I left squat 15, mm-hmm. so me going to squat 50 was a big deal. But I came in and I heard these white middle-class academic theoreticians talking about what what I feel as a pagan worldview, well, what it is, um, with their theories, but of course their theories are legitimate. Yeah? The yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I started exploring that intersection of how these things are seen. And because I had the personal connection with hoarding, it's like, and the personal connection with autism, it's like mm-hmm. that same stuff. Yeah. You've got the rights to talk about it. And if I talk about it, it's, you know, woo. But it's exactly the same stuff. And you go back through um, the the theories throughout history and it's all the same stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I have strong, strong inclinations that we are affected by our hordes. Sure, we're not designed to live in this type of society, no one is with constant overstimulation. You know, I mean, that's why we drink, right? <laughs> you know, so we can yeah. get, uh, well, get we back on the case from the next day. Yeah. Distract from, from and, and trying to cope is very, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that have said we have this, the brain hasn't changed yeah. that much, right? Since we were yeah. in the caves um, or, yeah. you know, uh, early modern humans. I mean, we've, well, we've we've tried to adapt to, to a, a world that is uh, completely different to That's right. what we've been evolved to, really. And it would be interesting to see how we evolve over more time as to whether we kind of even change a little bit. You know. Well, that, that's that's an optimistic view. I'm not yeah. entirely how many of us will be around. I mean, it's 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 late stage capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, capitalism is, is is sorting us out, and if things don't change, there might not be people or pla- well, the planet will survive. But yeah. you know, if the people somebody will... said that what we'll turn into is a, a rather large thumb with one eye, a mouth, and an anus, because I really know those people. <laughs> they they, they kind of like you know, they're saying what well, what else do you need? You can use your thumb if you're a thumb. You can use your mobile phone. You know. What else do you need, really? Eh? Oh, apart from maybe some reproductive uh, elements, of course, as well. So a thumb with uh, with genitals, essentially. A thumb with genitals. And an eye. And, and, and an eye. Yeah. An eye and a mouth, so right. you can take the food in, and an anus, so you can get rid of it. You know. Uh, hopefully not. Version. <laughs> well, I must say, I have seen some people who do look just exactly like a thumb. So, <laughs> so it's a, yeah. not beyond possibility. Um, I do, I, yeah, I do t- tend to try and be more optimistic uh, because otherwise I'd just go berserk. And well, yeah, I, I think where I've come from it is that's why I paint mm. because I spent a great deal of my life, uh, especially like when I was parenting. It was, it was um, like if you're an autism parent, you don't stay married for long. That's just how it goes. So right. parents on my own and raising three kids and having to leave work because you couldn't do that, you know. Um, and uh, 
Where was I going with that? I've lost my train of thought. Painting. You were going yeah. to painting. Painting, yeah. yeah. I can't remember how that really... It came in because I'd said yeah. about optimism and you said that you used painting. Oh, to... painting. I, I did yeah. all that stuff. And I did all the flag, flag waving and protesting and trying to change things, going through the fact that most people don't want things changed. Mm. <laughs> um, and most people haven't been poor, so they really don't give a shit. They really don't. And coming into the second half of my life thinking, well, what am I going to do now, now that I have these realisations that have meaning and understanding that it was time I made my life about me, but about something good into the world as well. And so I come back and I do painting, which is the most important thing because it's how we how we record things and how we mark moments and how we talk about things that aren't being talked about and how we change things. Yeah. It was also about my opportunity in life to understand a lot of what was going on around me and process it. And instead of being out there waving the flag, just taking it inwards. So there's an optimism in it and that I have the second half of my life to do what's good by me and what's mm. good for me and allow everyone else the agency of their own being. And if that's, you know, so, that's how talk, outside my hands I've fought for long enough. Talking about painting, if you go far mm. back enough, and certainly in, in your neck of the woods, um, there would have been people painting objects and creatures on rocks. Yep. And they would have believed that those paintings had a life of their own. You know, that, that was the purpose of, of kind of like um, understanding the world. Um, is well, actually, you're kind of touching on what I'm doing because what right. I'm doing when I'm, um, because I'm coming in from a pagan perspective, when I, I'm not just representing these energies and objects and liveliness, for me, the fact that I'm working with paint and collage, I'm actually managing energies and those mm. energies are creating with me and I'm taking values that exist and and not throwing them all out I'm tearing them up and putting them in different places and rearranging values that exist and that is an energetic practice that comes mm. that's like an energetic practice uh, if you think about magical systems throughout the world um, representational magic, sympathetic magic, is the type that everyone uses because you're taking a representation of something and altering it to affect a real-world outcome. Yeah, yeah. Liveliness is a thing that's not too hard to comprehend. I mean, every, every magical system, every traditional system in the world works that way except for... Um, you know, the likes of Christianity, where it's all happening up at head level, it's all happening in brain level, thoughts and prayers, everything mm. else, taking something and changing it to affect the world. And when you think about um, doing that within a hoarded situation, where you take things out and you rearrange them and the person can finally breathe again, 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's how actualization works. You actually have to. It's no good just thinking about the thing. You have to bring it into this plane and manifest it. I mean, one of the first steps in a magical act is to take what you're wanting to happen from the ether and write it down. You're bringing it into this world. Mm-hmm. Same hoarded house. Put one thing up and take it out, and you can do that with one. A day. So, if you can do that with one thing how, a day, how, everything changes. How, how far have you got with um, your parents' stuff now? How, how well, I was there for summer. Now, so when my parents moved from Dunedin to Ranfurly, which is a wee small town, um, when I was 19, I bought their house. So I had mm. the house my father had been in for generations. And there's a long story behind it, but that was hoarded. Uh, so we we cleaned out that house. Now my parents had been somewhat resistant to. I would have liked a a, a better life for them. At the same time, yeah, it's hard to say how much of it was any of my business, mm. and where I'm safe. It's those those lines are tricky things, um, but they they preferred to be left alone. By everybody, and when Dad died, Mum in particular. So 35, 35 years of hoarding to clear out of the house. Now I couldn't do that while they were alive. No. And um, the last time I tried to lux Mum's house, uh, do you use the word lux? No, I was just going to ask you what it meant. Yeah. The last time I tried to vacuum Mum's house, it didn't go well. Let's say. Right. Um, okay. She was a tiny little woman. She was four foot nine and a half, and she was blind, and she was deaf. And she'd been through a mastectomy and she just wanted to be left the hell alone in her ward. And it wasn't um, easy and I wasn't able to help her then. But she gave me permission to clear the ward. Mm-hmm. And when she died, I was able to get in there and without um, feeling resentment towards other family members or thinking, poor me, I'm having to do this or being angry at my sister who's incapable of helping, I was able to spend time there and and clear out hundreds of kilos of stuff and sell off all that stuff and get the house sold, knowing that's something she had worried about, you know. And so I was finally allowed to do something for them. But it had to happen after they died. I wasn't so allowed was to it, was it a relief or it was the first thing that allowed me to do for them. And right. I'd been to do it without making them angry because they'd both yeah. passed. But for me, after a lifetime of um, being, this sounds really hard and it's not meant to sound that hard because I've processed stuff, but being and being in the way and being annoying and being unable to help, this I was allowed to do. Mm. So it was it, it was a real blessing for me. I think it, it takes a very special kind of person to want to actually be annoying. I think <laughs> kind of like, you know, I don't think anybody wants to do that at all. I, I think uh, most people mean well, but certainly when you're dealing with your parents as well, you know, these are these are the people that, that you're meant to respect and, and, and uh, listen to and, and all of that. And if they don't want you doing it. Um, yeah, well, you know, we had dysfunction. We had, we, yeah. I come from dysfunction, that's how it is. And generations of it, you know, interrupted by uh, wars and all sorts of other things that just make things harder. So there, uh, there was a lot of stuff there. And, um, like, the, there's, there's aspects of my life that 
I'd feel much more um, happy talking about in a group of hoarders mm. than I would other people, you know, because it's like, it's like, oh, okay, you come from the same dysfunction as me. We're cool. You know, yeah. you get it. You know why my That's parents spoke to me the way they did. Mm. And, you know, you know that stuff. I don't have to explain it. But if I go out, if I go out there and talk to Joe Lunchbox, Joe Lunchbox has no idea where I'm coming from and what I'm on about. So there you go. You're talking about why your podcast um, keeps me company at school and why I need more than 22 episodes. It's because because of that. I just. Right. I, mean, I, 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 was, I, I know it sounds a bit strange, but when my mum died uh, March of uh, last year, so she'd moved out uh, of Coventry and she'd moved, she was 71, I think, at the time. She'd moved to a different town. She'd lived in, in Coventry for most of her life. No, all of her life, sorry. And she mm. moved in with this guy. She got rid of most of her stuff when she moved. So when she moved back and died a year later, there wasn't anything there that was really sentimental or, you know, so I was quite lucky. <laughs> Isn't that dreadful? Yeah. I was really lucky. No, I can talk about it like that too because yeah. I, because there's a separation that occurs. I mean, for me, one of the things that when you go into it and you're doing the clearing out like normal, normally, in neurotypical households, mm. the would have thrown out the toys you had at, at three yeah, yeah. in the last 50 years or passed them on. But here I am finding those toys that I haven't seen for 50 years mm -hmm. still there. And so I'm discovering an attachment that I had at three years old, talk about the cooler things, but now I've got to throw them out. It's, it's, it's kind it's of a bit hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And everything you touch is that way. And yeah. it, Everything you touch has strings and it's sticky, has fibres. I mean, yeah. energy sticky and has, and um, yeah, everything you touch is loaded, really yeah. loaded and needs to be processed. No one else has done it. It's, it's a very, yeah, it's a very strange thing to go through. But being there for the whole summer on my own, like my partner stayed for the first two weeks mm. and he, I think it was 450 kilos the first load, 450 kilos the second load, 350 the last load, and that was taking the surface off so I could deal with the rest. But I was on my own for summer. There was no um, hot water in the house. All right. No That's phone. Cool. And is really, really hot. So it was, it was well, yeah, but that set it up as being a mission. And right, right, yeah, yeah. I could do. Um, so, yeah, there's strange things about it. Were there specific things that were were acquired? Were the like, categories of things that, that, that were the main things that were were acquired, or, or was it general? Well, my parents um, were huge on books. Books was huge. Mm. Huge on guns and gun stuff. Mum was huge on plants and plant stuff. And shoes. Shoes were a biggie. Mm. Uh, uh, I remember when mum left in Eden, they took a, a, a huge carton of clothing, like from the 60s with them, the size of a wardrobe. They, they mm. took that whole stuff that would never be worn again. And so she had masses of clothes. And, of course, because the house was so full of clothes, she couldn't find her clothes, so she bought new ones. Oh, so 
yeah. few years of her life, she yeah. wasn't doing any washing. She was just buying new clothes. So there's oh. all this. Nothing was kept well, you know, because it couldn't be. Well, she would have had a lot of problems with her health issues, wouldn't she? If yeah, but she was she was the toughest old thing. I mean, kind of funny woman. Oh, she mean. Wow, she really was. And I mean, that, you know, that was a, a full on thing. It sounds disrespectful, but actually, I fully respected her for that, even though it was you know problematic in my direction. Mm. Uh, at the end of life, when she was, you know, leaving us, she uh, and she lost the ability to to be in charge of everyone and everything and and had to rely on other people to help. That was one of the, the hardest things was watching her lose that um, that uh, dominating persona. So what what you so a lot of the time acquiring is about control. Mm-hmm. And if you're losing control over so many aspects, yeah. I would imagine that the acquiring, if you can still do it, becomes even stronger than, than than it was before and especially having lost your dad as well yeah he went 11 years earlier um oh, wow. but yeah 11 yeah there were there's an age difference between them but um it's really strange because of the sort of uh dysfunctional family dynamics which includes my own part in it i mean because mm. i didn't i sort of grew up wobbly don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I wasn't in their life for a few years um, when when I actually found out that when I was old enough to find out that their way of living was actually none of my business mm-hmm. and in their own ways, like I'm wanting them to be happy, but in their own way, what looked like extreme misfortune was their happiness and it was, it was actually my business. And I was out of their life for a few years until the illnesses meant that um, – it wasn't anyone else's responsibility. Right. Okay. So you, you took <coughs> on the responsibility of looking after them. Well, there wasn't anyone else's responsibility when you think about it. Whose responsibility is it? You know, and what that had given me uh, was an ability to find some sort of wellness myself in a life that worked in a new perspective on things, um, right. and tidy my life up and. Uh-huh. And and come back and been grieved because mm. I had grieved for um, the life they should have had. Yeah, I had yeah. for the parents they sh- they could have and should have been. Um, and I was able to work in with the people, not working with because there was no working in with them. Um, I was able to show up and and do what I needed to do with the people who actually existed as opposed to some idea of you should be this. Well, that's, that's the big creative question yeah. with, with anything is what if, what if this happened? What if this person yep. was like that? What if this yep. hadn't happened? What if, and most of the people that I know, I mean, you use the word wobbly. I don't think I know anybody who isn't wobbly. Well, maybe Heather right. isn't wobbly. Maybe Heather isn't. Oh, She's probably one of the There's, there's only two wobbly. types of people. There's the diagnosed yep. and the yet. Diagnosed. Yes. That's all there is. So it's okay, so, you know. Well, so maybe, Sylvie, yeah. Sylvie, did, did you grow up in a hoarded home? Then was it hoarded? Yeah, uh, yeah. Not. I so, mean, not, not not as bad as like American hoarders, but certainly like English hoarders. Right. Yeah. 
And what yeah. do you think started that? The, was it your mum? Was it your dad? Was it both of them? Well, they both came from, um, I mean, there's a particular type of, of uh, attitude that is, I think we were talking about um, keep and mend, mm. uh, not want, not all of that that they came from. There's a particular type of not caring for possessions that goes with that. If you put all that together generationally, it becomes problematic. Um, when my father, when he went away to World War II, his his own father and uncle were here, mm. um, and they didn't keep the house well coming from that environment, and they added alcohol to that, and you know, he did sent his pay home from the war. And they drank that, so they came back to nothing. Um, there's also farm bullets here. Um, you could go in the drawer when you came back as an old soldier to um, to have a farm properly. See, of course, only a few families got that. He was always bitter that he hadn't. Came from a family of heavy drinkers. <clears throat> now, when Mum came along from her own family, uh, she, for some reason, found that living situation better than her own. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's so she she married him. Yeah, so she married him, and and that was his father and an uncle had died, and it just carried on from there. Uh, I think the overwhelm hit her back in the day when you had a baby. If you had depression, they gave you all the benzodiazepines and all of that sort of. Stuff. It was on pethidine and valium and all of that. They they just got you horribly addicted, and so she was coping with that with a personality that was already wobbly. So would you say she was zombified? Yeah, oh, yeah, from my childhood, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. um, it's, I mean, it's, it's it, 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 you recognise all this stuff in Britain because the same stuff goes on there. It's a sort of family. We were that house oh, in the street. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So we were that house in the street, and it just got worse and worse and worse over the years. And one of the things I wanted at nineteen, I got married the first time at nineteen. Um, when we bought the house off them, it was, okay, that gives us a start on the housing ladder, but it also made them have to decide what to take with them and decide what not to take with them for their fresh start in this new wee house. Mm. And, yeah. So, well, one of the questions about all of this is um, to do with your art, because if you had an experience being from this wobbly, dysfunctional family, you probably wouldn't be doing the artwork that you are now. That's right. Right. It, it, you've, you've done a very positive thing. Well, I'm being positive again. You've done a very positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Dave, be careful. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. Let's, not make this a, let's not make this a thing, eh? Let's not, um, uh. You've taken um, <laughs> the pain, right, which a lot of artists seem to do, and made something uh, hopefully beautiful out of it. You know, and so when you when you sit down to make a piece of art, what's your process? Oh, well, I tell you what, um, because I'm at art school, their job is in the sh few short years you're there to take what you already do and stretch you in all sort of directions that you'd never go in yourself. I never expected to be doing collage. It wasn't part of what. Right. Okay. Um, but they stretch you into all sorts of things to try out sort of much more avant-garde stuff. When you leave, you can go back to painting flowers or whatever. 
Right, okay. But while you're there, they're going to stretch in all sorts of directions. So my process at the moment, I'm painting on small, medium, large sheets of aluminium core board, and I'm using uh, paints and inks and collage papers. I draw portraits and I tear them up and I put them into that. There are more layers of paints, and I, I've got a um, orbital sander that then comes out. Mm-hmm sand it right back and I work on top of that and I glaze and then out come oil paints and I'm working with ideas of thick and thin and opaque and transparent and line versus mass I'm working with ideas of warm and cool colours light and dark values as energies that um, are movable and transmutable but I'm also making um smaller uh sort of two foot by three foot uh portraits of people from collaged elements and currently they are uh elements cut out of magazines like objects you find within the house I think it's great Uh, can you send us some after this I can have you got a website I'll tell you I'm sorry, carry no, on. It's okay. Have you got a website that you have stuff up on so people can look it's, at it? Well, my my uh, website is has my early paintings from my undergraduate. Oh. It's chaos art, but um, on I mean you can most welcome to friend me on Instagram. I'm Hedgewitch NZ. Okay. Okay. The other thing, yes, that's your your name, isn't it? That's, mm. yeah. The thing I was going to say when you were talking about collage, there's there's a guy called Vic Muniz. Mm. Yes. Have you have you seen his work? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And, and that is just fascinating. He he um he went to, well. One of the things he did was he went to talk to the people that live in the massive rubbish tips in Brazil um, and that's their life they just go through yeah. rubbish and find things that they can sell on or and he took about six of them and they made like ginormous collages from rubbish of yeah. their faces and then they took it on tour and so these mm-hmm. people that originally lived in this um, you know lived out of rubbish so lived out of everybody else's unwanted stuff they sort of grew and developed because people were interested in them and Mm. they were interested in the art and they were interested in what they did and then they were interested in them as people and it was just a fascinating it's a documentary about him but I just I love collage anyway so um, yeah his work and it was from that that I you know read more about him and but fascinating stuff, I thought. I In the projects that I'm doing in Birmingham with, because I'm working with a lot of people who hoard in Birmingham, Birmingham can sort of paid, have given me a grant to do this. Mm. And we do art projects there, but um, I'd really like to do a big mural on the wall. Do you know, yeah. there's a guy, there's a guy um, that I heard of recently, uh, who, I think he'd been on Britain's Got Talent, called Nathan Wyburn. I had to look him up because I couldn't remember. My brain's all over the place. He yeah. made uh, pictures out of McVitie's biscuits. Hello! <laughs> he, he, there's, um, what's the name? Alicia Dixon, who does the, the thing. 
and he used 600, I think it was 633 or 644 biscuits um, to, get, to get the skin tone of her, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It took three days, but he does this quite regularly. Uh, with yeah. various I look him up, I look of, him up later. He's really up. good. Um, and um, and he's always oh, he always looks so pleased when he's when he's done a piece of art. You know, he's like sat next to him. And it was for some bizarre thing like McVitie's were having a celebration of how many years they've been making biscuits or something like that. So it's amazing what you can. And no, there are there are some fantastic people out there. I mean, people are endlessly um, creative, and but I think it's what you said, Sophie. You've got to. Give that, and you do need a bit of pushing sometimes, like the art school's doing with you. Down, oh, yeah. that you just wouldn't even think of doing, and that's you know that's them doing their. I job. wonder what would what would what would happen if you went in and you go to art school, and all you want to do is paint like uh, shortbread oh. shortbread tins. You know, here's a cottage. <laughs> here's some flowers. Um, They'd hate it, wouldn't I they? I think you would either end up changed or you would end up desperately unhappy. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Spelled for not for not um for not I taking part enough. Oh, um, this, this is this is no. really awful because he was one of those was was an artist and he was mentioned. He used to use lard and felt. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but it, it's that thing of, of taking the art from what your life has brought up. I'll have to look him up. Lard and felt. That's, that's lard and felt. Well, he'd been in the war. And um, he'd been. I know down. Joseph. Um, Joseph. Joseph. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing yeah. stuff. That's and him. you see, because I come from South Dunedin, where you left school at fifteen, and if you got a job, it was some sort of manual labour. His work. When I first went to art school, I'm like, "What the what hell? Is that? What's that about? What's going on there?" Yeah, I'd, I'd have been much more painting shortbread tins type person. You know, it took me. Yeah. To, to stretch myself into these ideas and to re because we don't when you come from that culture we don't come from experimenting you come from wrecking your life by staying safe yes exactly exactly you know? and, and well actually people who hoard are doing the same they're staying exactly. safe exactly and that's one of the things that started yeah. me with this was um because my mum had agoraphobia as well so mm. i like a google search of agoraphobia and the online version of agoraphobia is pictures of people peeking out their windows waiting for someone to you know look, watching what's and it was like nobody knows that it's not about the outside it's not about the threat of the outside. It's about how comfy the inside is. Absolutely. It's the other you know? side of the obvious coin, isn't it? And people don't understand that. Don't so that. He, no, I know. Making a picture know. That, that calls you in and whispers quietly to you, let me tell you this, let me show you this, let me talk to you about this. And the, the hoarding thing comes in where comfy needs to be comfier. And cozier and cozier and cozier until you can't move and you can't breathe. Then you're cozy enough. So it's not about, you know, then then some horror comes and knocks at the door. What sort of crazy person does that? What an animal. Um, but yeah, people don't understand. And then that. they tell you that you've got to clear it all. There's a, oh, there's, I know. There's a lady that's on one of the um, videos that I've made. So she, 
she had a very very cozy house and yes. um so first of all her housing provider tried to clear it and that she had a fit and went no that's not going to work mm. but but she was you know she was amenable but she you know she didn't she didn't want that to happen so they were doing a project with me so they went back and they did the personal slow one-to-one -one, gentle and when she describes how she started clearing herself, she said, when I first cleared around my bed, I thought I was going to fall out of bed because I was yeah. used to everything being around me yeah. and everything making me feel safe and comfy. And then suddenly, mm -hmm. I, too much space, too much. But now she enjoys it. But I love yeah. doing these descriptions. Another lady had asked to have a clear a, you know, a bit, and she'd given people the keys. There were people that she trusted. Wow. You know, yeah. They, they'd spent a long time getting there and she said, I don't want to be a rat. That's a lot of trust. That is. It was. A lot. And she went off to a festival for the weekend mm. and then she came back. So she's got a, a bed sit flat. So it's just a hall with a bathroom yeah. and a kitchen off it. And then that, on the right hand side, it's just a, like a living room that runs parallel to the hall. And that's yep. bedroom and living room. So it wasn't yep. a big place, but I had never been in the living room because yep. when you get yep. halfway down the hall, that was everything she did in that little bit of hallway by the front door. She lived there, she slept there, she ate there. And, and the bathroom didn't work and the kitchen didn't work. And I'd never seen the living room because it had always been up to the ceiling. And anyway, she had it all cleared. And she said, so she'd got a sleeping bag with her which she uses in the hall. So she yeah. had her bed. So she yeah. when I first came back on the Sunday evening, she said, I just slept in the hall. I didn't go anywhere. She said, the next day, I, I like went along on my knees and peeked round a little bit, but I didn't do the rest. And she said, it was the, the <sighs> second day. I actually held onto the wall. And she hasn't got anything, you know, she doesn't need walking sticks or anything. Yeah. She had to hold onto the wall to be able to go around the corner into the room because she said she felt like she was on a boat. Mm. Yeah, vertigo, yeah. Oh. The space just freaked her out so much. But she she knew that it was going to happen and she'd asked for it, but her description of it was amazing. You know, because yeah, just, people yeah. don't think everybody's so busy going, oh, there you go now, it's all lovely and empty and... Mm. And that's for them, not for the person. Well, so, one of the things I always think about, Heather, imagine you or me giving someone who we trusted the keys to our houses to, to clear it out. Exactly. You know, or just decide what could stay and what could go. And I use that in training. I just say, yeah, imagine if somebody was coming to your house and they were going to take your chairs and decide which books you could keep. And they just wallpaper, so they were going to rip that off. You know. That's a claim business. Yeah. There's a kind of bizarre thing because they put a premium on. I mean, obviously, there's a premium on safety, right? But they put a premium yeah. on space, right? And yeah. then it's like, well, that's great. Now I've got a lot of space. What am I going to do yeah. with this space? Because I'm still, in, well, <laughs> I'm still in the same psychological position I was previously. Now I have space, right? And and I still have the same mental issues I had before. That hasn't gone away. 
you know, the psychological problems are still there, but now I've got some space. space. But the <laughs> idea, the idea, Dave, is if you are part of the space making. Mm. So if you genuinely have gone, do you know what? I, I'm I'm getting a bit fed up with this now. I I do. I do want, I want a bit more room or I want to move or what you, whatever your motivation is, then if you're part of the space making, well, I mean, one of the swaps or the psychological swaps is that you start hoarding space, not stuff. Well, that's what I did. That's what yeah. I did. I came from, I had a four bedroom house. I had three and at times four children and all their stuff. And I had to suddenly come down to I'm in a wee tiny house with two bedrooms, just a nitty bitty place with all their stuff, with all that stuff and bring it into the house. And I started because I have history and I know I have potential to, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. long time. I started to collect space. And that was my big collection was space. And at times I had to do it at one item a day. But it was because I knew if I left it, it would become okay to me rapidly. So, yeah, I have collected space and I continue to collect space. That's, like, that's fantastic. That, well, I'm going to I'm have to close up in a minute because I've got to disappear. Oh, before you go, there was, I yeah. just realised there was a, an episode of The Simpsons. Um, what, about hoarding? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll have to look that up or see if well, you can um, find it, Dave, and send it us. I think I've yeah. got it here, actually. Um, yeah, I'd like that. It, but it's about, um, was it The Simpsons? Yeah. I'm not sure if it was now. Was that weird? I mean, they have, they've featured hoarding in a lot of, um, you know, TV dramas and mm -hmm. they, they never quite get it right because obviously they've created it. So, it, you know, but they had it in Midsummer Murders. They oh, had wow. it in Bones. They had it in, oh, I can't remember, in Coronation Street. Right. Coronation so, Street. Yeah, they had they had they had hoarding in Coronation Street. So, yeah, they, they you know they do try and feature it because it's 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 quite popular as yeah. well. But yeah. before before we disappear, so mm. Sylvie, what else would you like us to talk about? That's a, oh gosh, I wish I had, it was more helpful because mm, the idea of you not doing what you do is, is, is a difficult one for me. I love, I love hearing your podcast and I know it would be really helpful if I could say, oh, follow this aspect or follow that aspect because at some point you guys are going to feel like you're repeating yourselves. But repeating yourselves is kind I'm, of... I'm always repeating right? myself. I'm yeah, I kind of, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like you have a formula, and I know you're not working at formulaic, but the way you just chat about what's going on and what's happening is what I need from you and what made you favorite. I just wondered if you wanted us to chat about a particular a issue, angle, you yeah. know, like I don't know, um, hoarding stuff that's flammable or. Um, I went to see I went to see a play called Breathless, which was at the Edinburgh Fringe. Apparently, there were three shows about hoarding at the Edinburgh Fringe this time. Really, and there was a guy oh, my, there. My friend went to see Breathless down in Ports. Ports it was great. It was really good. Although That's I did sit there, from. I did sit there going, uh, uh, "She's talking about clothes. What kind of hoarder hoards clothes? Should be books and DVDs. <laughs> Look at her with her clothes. What a load of nonsense." 
But wasn't it, yeah. wasn't it a little bit raunchy as well? Apparently, I've heard. There, there were there were the odd words, sure. but nothing yeah. really <laughs> awful. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'd like, my friend liked to see it. Yeah, I'd, I'll tell you what I'd like to hear you talk about because yeah. it's really really hard to do. I'd love to hear you, you two have a conversation about hoarding and the hoard that takes the agency off uh, mental health and onto what the hoard is doing mm. without holding it because it's really hard to stay on that topic without bringing it in that the human is the cause and the continuation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, I mean, I, I don't know how doable that is, but the idea of what the horde does to create its own life and impose it on us, hmm. I'd okay. love Well, I, I, one of the things I did think about doing was with, with some, because I run support groups and things as well, yeah. was I, I thought one day we might have some conversations about what are your things saying to you? Yeah. So not what do they mean to you, but if they had a voice and they were talking. This was before I read the book of Form and Emptiness. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that's why it really gelled with me. But yeah, so so yes, we can have it. We can do that. You were talking about yeah, like I'd love six, to hear six, that. We were talking about that six months ago or more. Yeah, we did. Uh, we yeah. talked about what yeah. voice is it. So that because that was the sort of I wanted my my partner wrote a play about hoarding as well, obviously. Um, but it didn't get further than Birmingham Rep trial night. But um, I, what I'd like to do is is make a really visual, um, like like a play, but done like a film, where mm. you really do animate the things. You want, yeah, you want an animator. You want a good animator. I need but, a good animator. But yeah. could we not do the play as an audio drama? Will he let us do that? I don't know. What, Steve's play? Yes. Well, I don't know whether it would work as audio drama because actually the 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 whole premise of the play was that this person started to hoard because he knocked a, a young girl over and she died. All oh, right, how oh, you can do that? She then comes out of the stuff at the end, so she's you lying can, on the stage. You can do it. But can. she's covered in a sheet that's all covered in. We glued lots of stuff on it and. And then at the end, Star Wars is an audio drama. Come on, you can do anything as an audio drama. Well, I'll talk to him tonight. Yeah, no, don't don't just talk to him. Demand. I'll demand. Demand. I'll I'll be. I'm good at that. I'm good at being bossy. So I should do that. But this has been great, Sylvie. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us. What fun! And um, it's been brilliant to meet you both. Yes, it's been wonderful to meet you too. So you keep going and send us some. Pictures of your art, please, because we'll both love it. Anyway, I'll see you. Right. I'll see you soon, Dave. Well, we've got this. We've got a task on now, and uh, we'll, we'll you'll hear us hopefully soon. It's a very tough task, and I'll send you a copy of this as well. Sort of. Oh, cheers! All right. All right. Take care. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.